right, we'll have the teens dismissed at this time to their class, and the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. You're supposed to mute it when I do that there, Stephen. Okay. I tried to get the switch turned off, but the sneeze came too quickly. Sorry about that. Proverbs chapter 6, this is one of the longer chapters in the book of Proverbs, and uh, Lord willing, we will get through the entire chapter tonight, if I ever get there myself, the pages are sticking for some reason, here we go, Proverbs chapter 6, and what we're going to see in this chapter, a little different from some of the chapters that we have been in, the first five is uh, we're going to see shorter passages when we get upwards into uh, some of the later chapters. We're going to have, I believe it's chapter 25, is the king, men of Hezekiah begin to copy out, yes, uh, many of the Proverbs that hadn't been recorded yet. And we're going to get into a lot of single verse sayings, but here we still have uh, we have like five divisions here, and the first several are, are somewhat shorter. Verse 1 says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, how many of you know what surety means? Uh, it's one of those words that we do not use very much in modern English. It simply means uh, of a guarantee. Basically, we would say signing a contract today. And so it says, listen, if you've signed a contract, if you've made a, an agreement with your friend, now notice what it says here. It says, if, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger. If you've, uh, sometimes people, especially young people, they try to buy a house. Guess what? They can't buy the house unless mom and dad sign as collateral to back them up and make that purchase. It says, be careful. It says, you've stricken your hand with a stranger. The Bible doesn't put any difference here between friend and stranger. Now, that's interesting to me. How about to you? How many of you have gotten in trouble trying to help out a friend? Uh, if you've tried to help anybody out, you've gotten in trouble. And uh, we often have a little saying, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Uh, if you really help someone, they'll never forgive you, right? Uh, I mean, these are just little sayings that we have, but they are actually reflected what Solomon is saying here. Now, that doesn't mean that you should never help anybody. What it says is, make sure thy friend. 
It says, give all diligence. It says, it says, give not sleep to thine eyelids, nor slum, sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Notice what it says. It says, humble thyself and make sure thy friend. It says, deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, does anybody know what a fowler is? You ever seen one of those trained eagles or hawks? They train them to catch birds. There's a one nest of peregrine falcons here in New York City that has arranged some notoriety if you've studied these things. And uh, the building owner wanted to go out there and remove the nest. I mean, it was about this big around on top of an air conditioner. And, and of course, the environmental people wouldn't let him do it. I, I personally wish we could get some more peregrine falcons around New York City because you know what they love? Pigeons. <laughs> and a fowler will take that bird and he'll release that bird from off his arm. And that hawk or, or falcon will fly up into the air and catch that bird out of flight and bring it back. It says you're to give the diligence that a bird would have to give to escape from the hand of the fowler. Let me tell you something. Pigeons don't fly as fast as falcons. You had better be careful here. It's giving you a warning if you're going to enter in, this is just the wisdom that's in the Bible. Make sure, humble yourself. How many times would you benefit by helping someone than depending on someone? Do you see the difference? I, I like the story that they tell during the Revolutionary War. There's a corporal there with a group of squadron of, of the colonial militia and uh, the army, and they were trying to remove a tree from the road. And as they were sitting there, the corporal was urging on the men, move, move, come on, lift, put your back into it. All of a sudden, an officer came riding up on a horse and said, get in there and help him. He says, Oh, I can't. I'm a corporal. And immediately the officer hopped down off the horse, grabbed a hold of the log with the men, and at the urging of the corporal, moved it out of the road. The officer then gets back on his horse and says, I am George Washington, your general. Next time you encounter a difficulty, follow my example. And he rides off. You do a whole lot better helping someone than depending on them. This is what Solomon is talking about. But then the subject changes completely. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Verse 6. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? 
Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Now, how many of you have noticed the personal pronoun that was used throughout this whole thing talking about the ants? Look in, look in your Bible. It says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider whose ways? Her ways. It says that um, she who provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How many of you knew that all of the worker ants in the average ant colony are female? Uh, well, Philip did because he had biology this year, right? Okay. How did Solomon know that? I mean, I don't want to be sick here, but I mean, I can help you with cats and dogs, but ants? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty difficult job there to get those little things without... I mean, I pick up on them little ants and what happens? Somebody said, what kind of bug is that, Dad? Dead one. Uh, but here, Solomon is giving us just a little bit of information, a little insight to the wisdom he did possess. It took us years to figure out that the worker ants were all women, but Solomon wrote a thousand years before Jesus was born. Uh, just another one of those little things that your Bible is accurate. Amen? And by the way, you have a queen bee in the queen colony, and you have a queen ant, but she doesn't order all the ants around. Now, they talk about overseer ants and directions and all of these things, but ant colonies, they do what they do because they're ants. It's amazing. And there are some ants that actually are, they call them farmer ants. How many of you have heard of them? They go and they gather up leaves during the spring and the summer. They chew them up. They take them down into their, uh, oh, what do they call an ant hive? Uh, colony. They take them down into the colony in the tunnels that they have dug in the dirt. And they literally put this molting mixture of ant saliva and leaf and it grows mold. And they'll do this during the summer and during the winter when everything gets cold. Guess what the ants live on? They live on the crops that they have grown. It's an amazing thing. I'll tell you one thing about Solomon. He paid attention to things most of us miss, don't you think? Uh, to know these things. And we're told to go to the ant and consider her ways. How often? I mean, never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. Amen? <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed to be now, is it? That's the way we do it, is we put off things. If we can put it off, we put it off. You know what? The ant doesn't do that. It does it today. Now, how many of you have ever folded your hands to sleep? 
I'll tell you what you get, sore hands. Because you cut off the blood flow to your fingers when you fold your hands to sleep. But, I mean, what is the picture? It is the consummate picture of Uncle Beauregard. Uh, I don't think we have any of those around here. Laying on the couch after a large meal with his hands folded over his uh, enormous round spot in the middle. And it just rises and falls and rises and falls. A little sleep, a little slumber. Look what it says. A little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. And thy want as an armed man. It's going to come. It's going to come quickly. And it's not going to be gotten rid of easily. I mean, if somebody were to come through the back doors of the church and say, I want all your money, and they didn't have anything at all on them, we would say, get out of here and go do that somewhere else. But if they came in with a shotgun and said, I want all your money, uh, it wouldn't be so easy to get rid of the person now, would it? In fact, it'd be a lot easier to reach into your pocket and give up your wallet than to have them use that gun on somebody. It says that your want is going to come as an armed man. Guess what? One of the reasons I'm against confiscating guns is because he who has the guns makes the rules now, doesn't he? Now, I'm not for the wild, wild west either. But the only way you stop a bad man with a gun is a good man with a gun. And it doesn't hurt if the good guy's gun is bigger than the bad guy's gun. Amen? But if you're not careful here, if you just put everything off, it's going to come and get you. And when it does... You're going to be held prisoner by want. You know what? Many people have done horrible things simply because they lacked what they needed. That's what the word want means. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It doesn't mean the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not flip through the pages of the Sears and Roebuck catalog if you're old enough to remember that. Uh... That's a whole nother thing. That's covetousness. What it's talking about when the word want is used in your Bible, it's talking about having sufficient food and raiment and place to live, shelter from the elements. It's lacking the things that you need to live. And I'll tell you, a lot of crime is committed because people lack what they need to live. And they were too lazy to go out and provide for it. I'll tell you what, it's often, be said, it's often been said, and it is so very true, that if the criminals would work half as hard at earning an honest living as they do at making a dishonest one, uh, they probably have what they need, don't you think? And that's what this verse here is taught. It's a warning. Here's the first warning. Be careful. Making surety, making contracts, 
Don't be willing just to guarantee somebody because they're your friend. And certainly, don't go find a stranger and enter into some contractual agreement. You're going to get caught. There are times when you should, but give all diligence to make sure, thy friend, humble yourself, help. Just don't depend upon them to do it. Go to the ants. Watch them because... There is going to be trouble if you don't. Then we come down to verse 12, and this one's interesting. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. Now, how many of you have seen or heard or even done this yourself? You are a naughty little boy. I mean, we use that word, and we really don't uh, have the proper understanding of it. Naughty is not a nice word for bad. In your Bible, in verse 12, if you like grammar, this is what's called an appositive. An appositive is the same thing said twice. And so what we have here is a naughty person, a wicked man. The naughty person and the wicked man are the same person. Uh, Does anybody have any problems understanding what a wicked man is? Now, if you live in New York City. uh, I mean, so don't get the idea that this naughty... uh, By the way, Santa Claus doesn't exist, amen? Who's been naughty or nice, it's, it's who's been wicked. That's what the word naughty means. It says, walketh with a froward mouth, he winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart, he devises mischief continually, he soweth discord. I mean, doesn't that describe every Hollywood movie ever made? I mean, the guy's standing there with his fedora pulled down over his hat and his hand in his hand. He goes, and they go do some horrible thing. Uh, the Bible says that's the way wicked people will act. They were doing it long before there were fedoras and mafia and all of that stuff. Uh, people have always wanted to communicate things on the side without saying what they want to say. You know, we call it double entree, where you say one thing and you mean something else totally different. Every once in a while, one of my kids will say something. And I go, whoa, wait a minute. I said, well, Dad, what's wrong? I said, you don't know what you just said, I hope. No. I said, well, don't ever say it again. Why do people have to ruin all the really cool phrases? Uh, Well, that's the wicked people out there. They always doing something they teach. It says that this is in their heart, in their mind. This is the way they act. Wicked people don't take a break from being wicked. Therefore, verse 15, Therefore his calamity shall his calamity come suddenly... Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. You know what? Sometimes there's a little allure. There's a little... I'll just 
I'll just hang around with this person. I'll just go out with my friends. They're really not good people, but, well, let's be honest. Their life is about wickedness. And you hang out with your friend because you want to have a little fun. How many teens have lost their lives? I just read the story. You may have read about it in Ohio. There were uh, eight teens in a little SUV that they had stolen, were driving at a high rate of speed, flipped over a guardrail, ended upside down in a muddy pond. And six of the eight teens drowned that night in the car. One girl, seven guys, she was driving the car. Nobody knows which one stole and all of those things. Uh, You know what? It says right here that suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. If you're with them when calamity strikes, guess who's going to get struck? That's what this verse, it's another warning. Don't go that way. You don't have to be there. You don't have to befriend those that are doing wrong. And by the way, if you're simply honest, it doesn't take much to figure out who the naughty man or the wicked man is. Now does it. Now Jason, that's all. You sit still. And so we get to verse 16 and we enter another passage, another portion here. These six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. This is an emphatic way of stating it. Six things God hates, seven are an abomination. Now, if God says something is an abomination, should that not be on your not-to-do list? Everybody's talking about a a bucket list today. Isn't that the new phraseology? Uh, Those are the things that you just have to do before you die. Well, this is a not-bucket list, all right? Uh, These are things you'd better keep off of your list. What's number one? A proud look. I mean, how often does that, has a proud look happened in the, uh, they call it the big dance. All these basketball teams and they sit out there, we're going to run and trash talking and all of this stuff. You know what? God hates a proud look. He says it's an abomination. Don't let yourself get drawn into that stuff. A lying tongue. But pastor, it's just a little white lie. Uh, God says it's an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood. Oh, I cannot think of any more innocent blood being shed than the abortion providers. And by the way, it's not only the doctors. I'll tell you what. I believe that God holds the parents responsible for a lot of that. And especially those parents that... Well, anyway, we won't go there. I'll tell you the ones that 
I despise the most are the ones that say, listen, you don't have to tell your parents. You don't have to tell anybody. You just trust me. I'm the school counselor, and they've done this repeatedly, taken a young woman to the clinic, had the abortion performed before her parents had any idea what was going on. Let me tell you something. There are the evil people. And the Bible says that hands that shed innocent blood are an abomination to the Lord. How about a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations? You know, these people that do the things that they do, sometimes we make the mistake of just thinking that they're dumb sinners. Let me tell you something. There's not a lot of dumb sinners. They think about what they're doing. They know what's going on. These nightclub people, they advertise and draw people into that stuff. Do you know that most of the rock and roll stars, the guys that really made it, the big names, most of them have PhDs and advanced doctor's degrees in music? You know why? Because you have to know how to do it right before you can make the perversion sound good. And that's, that's just a simple statement of truth. These guys are not dumb. There are hearts that plan and prepare these things. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. I, I try some things, always something going on in the neighborhood. And what's the first thing everybody does? They all run to the window. Ah, what's going on? Hey, don't be swift to find out what's going on. You know, let it go on out there. Because there's times when you go out there to find out what's going on, you're going to get sucked in, my friend. It says God hates these things, that they're an abomination. A false witness that speaketh lies. How many of you have ever been lied about? I hope you haven't lied about somebody else. But how many of you have ever been lied about? Hey, write it down. God says he hates that. That's an abomination. Let me tell you something. God always settles the scores. Don't you settle scores. You let God settle them. Amen? And he that soweth discord among brethren. God said that this is an abomination of abomination. This is one thing that we try to watch for in our church. And members... This is part of your responsibility as members of the church. There have been several occasions we've had people coming in and, and uh, we had one guy, he was inviting people to go to different churches. He said, well, I come to your church. How about you come with me to mine? 
And you know what? Some people came and told me. That's what you're supposed to do. Say, I'm not going to rat on anybody. Well, no, you're not ratting. What we're doing is we're trying to keep an abomination from occurring in our church. And so I went and talked to the gentleman. He got quite defensive and offended at first until I explained to him that the offense he was committing was against God and we were going to do everything we could to stop him, including publicly embarrassing him, should he continue doing that. I said, listen, I'll call your name from the pulpit and I'll tell everybody in the church on Sunday morning what you're doing if you do this again. You'd do that? I said, you better believe I'd do that. You know why? Because God hates that stuff. We're not going to condone it. It will destroy churches. You know what? He hasn't showed up since for some strange reason. Somebody said, but Dad, you're so big and scary. I have never figured that out. I'm such a nice guy. Timid, shy, thumb-sucking, gentle little fellow. Um, but the simple truth is, if God hates these things, if God calls them abominations, then we better protect our lives and our church from these things going on. Amen? The warning is here. I know some churches and I know the history of the church and, and they'll, they'll grow and they'll get up about whatever number it is. I remember one church that would get up to about 600 people. Some of these things would happen and it'd be down to 125. Five years later, they'd be back up 600 again. Two more years, be back down to 125. And I can promise you that these things that God hates were the cause of those problems in that church. It's not you ratting on someone. It's you protecting yourself and others from things that God hates. Amen? Let's work on that as a church. Then we go to verse 20 and right through the end of the chapter uh, is all one statement here. And let's go, my son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When it goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, that is an incredible three-verse, four-verse collection here. Again, we'll have this theme all through the book of Proverbs. It says, bind them continually upon, their, upon thine heart. you know what that means? Binding. How many of you have ever... When you were a little kid, you got one of them little play bow and arrows. You remember that? And you broke it and you tried to bind it up. And every time you'd pull on the string, it'd just go again. Anybody else ever had that problem? Uh, you break something, you try to fix it, glue it. And you glue it and the glue just continually breaks. Listen, the idea of binding continually is attaching permanently 
every day. On a daily basis, on an hourly basis, bind the word of God to your heart. You know why we fall prey to temptation? Because we're not paying attention to the word of God. That's why. Why do we sin? We sin because we're not wrapping ourselves with the word of God. I've given this illustration so many times. How many of you guys remember when you were in high school, you tried to be tough and you put a pencil between your fingers and slam it on the table and make it break? Anybody else do that? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one with arthritis in my fingers, right? Uh, But that's human nature. Break the pencil. You will break every time under pressure. But God's commandments are like a steel rod. Wrap that pencil up to a steel rod. Now, don't put that through your fingers and try to break it because it won't be the pencil that breaks. Amen? That's what God's Word does. It strengthens you. It will keep you. But it's got to be continually bound upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. Wear them as a... Uh, one of those big emblems around your neck. I remember a Bible college a while back, they had this big medallion that the president wore, and they made a big deal about transferring the medallion from the former president to the new president, and they paraded all around their little town and had a medallion-changing thing, and the only problem was the college was no longer teaching the truth, so the medallion was absolutely meaningless. But you wear the word of God. If you took the Bible and hung it around your neck when you went to work, people would notice now, wouldn't they? Probably laugh at you. But if you took what's in God's word and hung it around your neck, guess what? It would change the way you behave. In fact, it says, it shall lead thee. I mean, we have debased, perverse people who put leashes on each other and lead each other around and do horrible things. If God's holding a leash and his word is a chain about my neck, guess what? I'll go in the right direction. It's not bad to be chained up to the right post. God's word will lead thee. It will keep thee, it says. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. How many of you have ever seen the little cartoons where the little devil comes up on this side and the little angel comes up on this side? Come on, go ahead and do it. No, don't. Do you know how to get yourself out of that situation? The word of God. So that when you wake up, there's only one speaking to you, the Word of God. It will talk to you. God's Word will run through your mind. How many times have you... uh, This happens to me all the time. I'm out doing something, working on something, and all of a sudden a line from one of the hymns we sing goes just running right through my mind. Hey, it shall talk with thee. It will keep you. It will protect you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. 
I mean, we go over this. How many times did you say, well, I just didn't see it happening? It blindsided me. It just came, well, turn on the light. Amen? The commandment is a light. The law is a lamp. The law is a light, and it says the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, I pray that I will never stop reproving. You say, why do you have to name sin? Well, that's what a reproof is. A reproof is blame expressed to the face. You know what? Sometimes, with a little child, you just have to get up in their face and say, no. Oh, but you could damage their psyche. Well, I intend to, amen? I I want to change behavior. Right, Jason? Jason, right? Yeah, sit there and smile at me while you're doing something bad. Um, Listen, we expect that out of three-year-olds now, don't we? But how much trouble would us 40-something-year-olds stay out of if we would just let the reproof of instruction guide us in the way. Now, the rest of this passage here, and, and you can read this for yourself, it says, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. It starts small. And by the way, you could put just about any sin you want in here. It says, lust not after her beauty in thine heart. How many guys could say that about an automobile or a motorcycle or some type of vehicle? How many people could talk about sitting down at the table and lusting after the money that's on the table? I mean, gambling and things like this. You can put just about any sin. It always starts in the heart. Sin will reduce you to a piece of bread is what the Bible says. There is no sin that will give you anything. It always takes. I read this verse, one of the shining examples. How about John Gotti, the dapper Don? You know, when sin was finished with him, he was laying on a bed in the federal hospital in Springfield, Missouri. I used to drive past it on my way to work when I was a Bible college student. He is laying on a bed dying of throat cancer without a dime to his name because sin had finally caught up to him. It reduces you to a piece of bread. It will take everything away from you. It will make you worthless. You cannot escape the judgment. It gives the example of who can go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned. You say, well, them Indian coal walkers do it. Oh, yeah. But they don't do it without first getting in touch with whatever demon it is that keeps them from doing that. You put your hand on the stove, you put your hand in something hot, you're going to get burned. You play with sin, buddy, you're going to get burned. There's no way around it. And here it says... A wound is this, verse 33, 
A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. If you want protection from sin, you've got to bind it continually. You've got to let the law of God be your light. You've got to allow the instructions, the reproofs of instruction. It says, for they are your life. Now, I hope you've noticed one thing about each one of these different topics we've covered in Proverbs chapter 6 and we'll be done. Is the level of intensity that is involved here. It says, Give not slumber to thine, uh, sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hunter, as a deer that's being chased through the woods, or a bird that's being chased by a hawk in flight. Uh, it says the ants are there every day. They're doing it right now, and they're not taking a break. It says these six things, seven things are an abomination to God, and it says that we're to bind them continually upon our heart. And they'll protect us. There's a level of intensity in Proverbs chapter 6 that I dare say very few people desire to attain to because it takes effort to to get there. But if we're going to serve God in these last days, let me tell you something. It's going to take a severe level of intensity to get there. You're not going to do it by accident. And let's take the warning of the greatest king in Israel, the world's wisest fool, we might say, and ask God to protect us by our keeping and taking heed to his word. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, once again, we ask that you would help us to listen to the words of your book, to a to be admonished by them, to allow your word to dictate our behavior so that it will lead us and keep us, that we may not bring reproach upon thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer...